The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and a desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to your coaching, so there's always somebody available to answer your questions and to help you adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, the ITL Coaching and Performance website is itlcoaching.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at bluepineappletravel.com. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The agents at Blue Pineapple Travel love to help people plan their travel. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Whether you're looking for relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group inside the United States or outside the United States, they are there to match you to the trip for you. Blue Pineapple Travel will help you curate all the travel information out there to create the exact vacation that you want. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by SlayerX, www.slayerx.com. SlayerX is a sports nutrition company that makes products for athletes, team sports, and anyone that trains or works outdoors. SlayerX was founded by an endurance athlete and University of Georgia food scientist who was unhappy with the choices he was offered on course in long course triathlons. He started making his own mixes and now you can enjoy those same mixes. SlayerX offers differing levels of electrolytes in their hydration products and you can get them with or without calories. You can either take their online test at SlayerX.com or you can be tested in their laboratory to determine the exact amount of liquid and electrolytes that you need to be consuming while racing. In addition to hydration products, SlayerX offers fueling products like their product Diesel, which is available with or without the optimum level of caffeine that is scientifically proven to legal enhance performance while limiting GI upset and diuretic impact. If you're looking for alternative gel, try SlayerX's new Spark Plug, a Pop Rocks-like powder that combines the same electrolytes that are in their other products, encapsulated caffeine, and quickly absorbed carbohydrates. It comes in a plastic tube so it can be carried while running and it will work to enhance and fuel your alertness, general happiness, and performance. Remember, tell them that the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast sent you by using the coupon code PLEASANT2019 at checkout on the website and you'll get 10% off anything that you purchase there. That's SlayerX.com, PLEASANT2019. Test, don't guess with SlayerX. Thanks to all of our sponsors for helping us to bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by ITO Coaching and Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and SlayerX. This is George Darden. I'm an endurance coach and athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. We have for you today an interview with Prentice Douglas. Uh, Prentice is a guy that I met earlier this year, and he's going to tell us about this really cool project he undertook a few months ago. He lives in San Francisco, and he decided that he was going to try and run every street in San Francisco. And so if you look at his Strava heat map, 
uh, over time, eventually every single one of the streets in San Francisco is going to be colored in blue because he will have run it. So um, he's going to tell us about how he's not all that into Strava and how the heat map wasn't really a good tool for him, but I don't want to steal the thunder from the interview there. Um, so he's had a lot of interesting things along the way happen and a lot of uh, insight that he's gained uh, by virtue of doing this project. Um, he's actually been keeping me in the loop on it over the course of the past few months, and so this is sort of a long time coming. Uh, he's about, you'll hear him say, maybe about 90% done with it here, and so he's looking to finish it up over the course of the next couple of months. So we figured it was a really good time for us to talk to him. Uh, before we do that, there's a couple of things that I wanted to mention here during the introduction. Um, a couple of things that we need to make sure that we, we took care of. First of all is just kind of a quick follow-up here on the New York City Marathon. Um, the New York City Marathon, of course, was last weekend, and Michelle and I talked about it and put out a podcast on it that day. We were excited about the New York City Marathon, and we wanted to go ahead and get it out. Uh, and that's cool, and we're glad that we did. But, uh, of course, there's always in the days following the marathon, or any major marathon, uh, there is more news that comes out and follow-ups and all that sort of thing. So I did want to mention a couple of quick stories from the New York City Marathon uh, that we didn't mention on that first day just because we didn't have the information right in front of us. Uh, the first one, and this is one that we actually should have noticed, um, is that 42-year-old Abdi Abdi Rahim uh, from the United States, he's a four-time U.S. Olympian in 2000. 2000, 2004, 2008, and 2012, he was on the U.S. Olympic team. Um, he finished ninth overall and ran 211.34. Um, that is a new U.S. Masters Marathon record. Um, the Masters Marathon record had been set only a month or so ago by Bernard Legat, who you know I'm a fan of, uh, but when he ran 212 in uh, in the Gold Coast Marathon in Australia. But Abdi Abdirahim uh, ran ran 211.34, finished ninth. He actually finished third in the New York City Marathon in 2016, and he only ran two seconds faster when he finished third. He ran 211.32 that day. So it was a it was a faster day in New York this time, but 211.34 for a guy who's going to be turning 43 in January, that, that that's pretty incredible. So uh, congrats to Abdi Abdirahim, lives out in Arizona for his new U.S. Masters Marathon record. He will, of course, be towing the line along with Bernard Legat and several others, uh, a few hundred others, as a matter of fact, at the uh, the Olympic trials on February 29th here in Atlanta. Um, following up on another professional runner, Sarah Hall, uh, we talked a little bit about her and we talked about how there was, there was some question as to where exactly it was that she pulled out of the race and why. Um, she dropped out at about the 18 mile mark, around 30K. Uh, we said that we weren't sure if she dropped out at eight or if she dropped out at 18. It just wasn't entirely clear. She dropped out at about 18, uh, she said. Um, she has actually been on social media and out there a lot since she dropped out. Um, and we conjectured that maybe she was too tired and that she had done a little bit too much. Um, she says that on the day she was simply unlucky, um, that coming into the race she had um, some GI issues and that her belly was bothering her and that she had to use the bathroom the entire time um, and things like that. Uh, I think most of us are familiar, those of us who have done endurance sports for a while are familiar with that happening. Um, and she said, you know, that always happens. You wish it doesn't happen on race day, but it does sometimes. Um, and so that was kind of her situation. She did say, in addition, um, and, and I'll get the actual quotation because Michelle will actually want to, to draw attention to it when she's back on the podcast next weekend, but um, she did say that she felt like going for that 10-mile uh, championship, that U.S. championship, was too much. You'll recall that Michelle said that, that 
going for the 10 mile championship is probably what pushed her beyond the threshold. Um, and Sarah Hall effectively said, yeah, Michelle was right. She didn't use those words, but, but that was the sentiment. Um, a few folks wrote to me and asked me how Robert Hudson did, which I thought was cool. Um, so Robert Hudson, you'll recall, we, uh, we talked to him before and after two of the marathons that he was doing this fall. Uh, he did Berlin, he did Chicago, and then he was set to do New York a couple of weeks ago when we talked to him on the podcast. Um, uh, uh, he lives over in South Korea. He is originally from Scotland. Uh, fairly new to running, but he had a goal of running under 2:30 in Berlin, and he did. He ran 2:29. Um, and then he goes out in Chicago, where his goals were a little softer. He he said, "I'm just going to try and run the best race I can," and he runs 2:28. Um, and so he had told us on the podcast that his goal was to go out and run 2:27 at at New York to make for a nice round fall. Um, he was on pace to run 2:27 until about the last three miles and then he didn't fall apart but he just wasn't quite able to hold on to that pace and he ends up running 228 again Uh, and so the same thing that he ran in in Chicago he ran on the harder New York City course Um, he ran 228.29 it was a few uh, seconds faster than what he ran in Chicago so it is now his PR Um, and what a brilliant fall that Robert Hudson had Uh, he runs 229. He's never run under 230. He's run 234, I think is what he said his PR was going to into Berlin. Uh, he runs 229 in Berlin, runs 228 in Chicago, and then comes back and runs 228 in New York. So uh, congrats to Robert. We're looking forward to, to seeing what great things he does in the future as well. Um, and then one other person with a connection to the podcast, that's Tyler Purnell. Uh, Tyler Purnell is with Zap Endurance out of Blowing Rock, North Carolina. Uh, Tyler is a marathoner there, and he's had some injuries over the course of last little while, uh, but he signed up for New York. He ran 214.10 and qualified for the Olympic trials here in Atlanta. And so I know that given his injury history, their number one priority was trying to qualify him for the trials. And so uh, I was glad to see that happen. And I look forward to seeing him in Atlanta. Um, The other thing to always talk about whenever we talk about the New York City Marathon, you've heard me say so many times on this podcast that I like the New York City Marathon because it's so New York. Well, part of New York and part of being in New York is that there's kind of a lot of celebrities and well-known people around. Uh, and so fittingly, the New York City Marathon has a lot of celebrities who end up running it. Um, and I'm always kind of interested to see how they did. Um, and so let's talk about a few of them real quick, <laughs> different celebrities that ran the New York City Marathon. Uh, you had Keegan Randall. Um, Keegan Randall in 2018 uh, won a gold medal in cross-country skiing in the United States, uh, for the United States. Uh, she was the first American woman ever to win a gold medal in cross-country skiing for the United States. Um, But then a month later, she was actually diagnosed with breast cancer. Now, she's gotten on the other side of the breast cancer, at least for now, um, and she ran for charity, uh, for a charity called Active Against Cancer, which is a nonprofit that promotes an active lifestyle for kids with cancer, which is pretty cool, obviously. But as you might expect from a a 2018 gold medalist in cross-country skiing, she ran pretty fast. She ran a 255.12. So uh, super impressive uh, performance there from Keegan Randall. and psyched for her. Uh, Speaking of Olympians, Taylor Ritzel uh, was a 2012 Olympic rower. Um, She was running to raise money for the Women's Sports Foundation, and she ran 430.15. Speaking of athletes, uh, a couple of uh, football players who were uh, played up as having a big rivalry with one another immediately prior to the race. Uh, Jason Seahorn and and Tiki Barber. Uh, Jason Seahorn was a, a New York Giants cornerback, um, and he ran 319.26. It was his first ever marathon. That's a pretty solid, um, pretty solid marathon there for uh, for Jason Seahorn. Um, 
he uh, he rented rented to raise money for the Foundation of Tomorrow, uh, which is a foundation that was started by his wife Megan to help orphaned and vulnerable children in Tanzania uh, get educated, which is obviously pretty cool. Um, Tiki Barber is actually run uh, several times, a former football player as well. Um, he's run the New York City Marathon before. Um, he finished about an hour behind Jason Seahorn. He ran four eighteen twenty four. He was raising money for the New York Roadrunners team for kids. Um, NASCAR driver Matt Kenseth, if you're a NASCAR fan, uh, Matt Kenseth ran it. Uh, he ran 311.33, so a pretty solid time for him as well. Uh, celebrity chef Richard Blaze from here in Atlanta, uh, winner of Top Chef Masters. Um, and I used to always see him at the grocery store when we lived in Midtown Atlanta, but, um, uh, which always made me feel good about where I was grocery shopping. Uh, he ran 437.38. Um, this is actually his sixth consecutive New York City Marathon. I didn't realize he was that avid of a runner. I might have to reach out to him to see if we can get him on the podcast. Um, speaking of celebrity chefs, Dan Churchill, um, who's a celebrity chef that's been featured on Good Morning America, on The Chew, on the Food Network. Um, he ran to support City Harvest, um, which is a charity that works to end hunger in New York City. Um, he ran 352.42. Uh, speaking of Good Morning America, Amy Robach, who's a co-host of Good Morning America, uh, ran 41629. Um, there's a charity uh, that Adam Driver, um, who plays Kylo Ren in the Star Wars movies um, and was on that HBO show, I think it's called Girls, um, <laughs> uh, has started called Arts in the Armed Forces. Um, he actually was, was, was in the armed forces for a little while, um, and as the name suggests, his charity is all about trying to encourage people who are in the armed forces um, to uh, do more autistic endeavors, which I think is actually pretty cool, and it's, it's something that, that uh, you don't necessarily think about being a part of the soldiering experience. But anyway, uh, a few different people ran in support of his charity there. Uh, Paul Sparks, who's an actor on House of Cards and Boardwalk Empire, uh, ran to raise money for Adam Driver's charity and ran 35408. Uh, Luke Kirby, who's on The Marvelous Miss Maisel, uh, that Amazon show, uh, ran 40501 to raise some money for Arts in the Armed Forces. And Joanne Tucker, who's actually Adam Driver's wife, um, she's on in a recent movie called The Report. Um, she ran 41042. So hopefully they raised a lot of money for, for that charity there. Um, the Bachelor and the Bachelorette, for some reason, always have a lot of people run or always have somebody who runs some sort of representative on there. Um, this time uh, from The Bachelorette, it was Andy Dorfman, uh, who evidently has also written a book and is, uh, is a New York Times bestselling author. Uh, she ran in support of Girls on the Run, which is a charity I love, um, and the New York Road Runners team for kids as well. She ran 356.17, so a solid sub four time there for her. Um, and Tyler Cameron, uh, who is from The Bachelor, um, he also ran the Chicago Marathon, but he got a lot of uh, attention after he went off The Bachelor uh, for actually starting a running group in New York City. Um, he ran in support of ABC Food Tours, which by all means, reach out to me and tell me what that charity is. I was kind of looking on their website, figuring it out a little bit, and there's not a like about section on their website. It just says, hey, here's how to give us money. Um, and so, um, so if you know what that is, tell me. But anyway, uh, Tyler Tyler Cameron and raising money for them ran 439.54, so congrats to him. Um, the actress Christy Altamer uh, ran 410.52. Uh, she's currently starring in Broadway's Anastasia. Uh, I mostly mention her because she sang the national anthem and then jumped into the race and ran 
to the finish line in Central Park, which I think is totally cool. Um, so 41052 for her. Congrats to uh, to, to her. Uh, and finally, uh, Uzo Aduba. Um, she is the actress who is in Orange and the New Black. She plays Crazy Eyes in Orange and the New Black, or Suzanne um, in Orange and the New Black. Um, she ran 740.04. So congrats to her and congrats to all the rest of them. And congrats to the other 50,000 people who finished the New York City Marathon. So um, very cool. One other quick thing to say about it, uh, the finish line doesn't actually close at midnight. Um, uh, it closes at 725, but but you will definitely see people running long past that 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 uh, closing time to, to get their their uh, their New York City Marathon finish. Uh, the second thing we wanted to talk about here uh, is, is just a couple of quick takes, and this is something we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, this weekend. Michelle's going to be back on the podcast this weekend, and and um, she is somebody that, that I, I can think of almost no one that I would rather have a conversation with uh, about this issue than her, uh, and that's the recent op-ed that appeared in the New York Times about Mary Kane. Um, so Mary Kane, if you missed it, um, on Thursday, uh, she had an op-ed in the New York Times, and they, they filmed it as as a video, and so it was her talking with, a, with like a photo montage rather than than a written op-ed. Um, and in it, she claims that uh, that Alberto Salazar uh, uh, mentally, psychologically, and physically abused her during her time with the Nike Oregon Project. Uh, she was with the Nike Oregon Project for about five or six years, um, and and over that time, he was particularly fixated on her weight. Um, she was a world beater in high school. Uh, she set multiple records. Um, when she was only 16 years old, she was a finalist in the world championships in track and field. Um, and so a brilliant runner. And, and as she says, and I think the headline actually of the op-ed was, I was trying to be the fastest athlete in the world, and then I went to the Nike Oregon Project. Um, and when she arrived, Alberto Salazar got really, really... Um, uh, obsessed with her losing weight. Um, and if you look at the videos of her running in high school, she doesn't look like somebody who needs to lose weight. She looks like a thin, fit, uh, fast athlete. Um, and and uh, he said that she needed to, to, to be at 114 pounds in order to be able to compete at a world-class level. And in order to get her there, uh, he said that she needed to go on birth control and uh, she needed to start using a prescription diuretic, which dehydrates you, which is against WADA rules to use a diuretic for the purpose of cutting, cutting weight. Um, and, and this has gotten a lot of attention, as you can imagine. Um, she said that as a result of her trying to, to, to cut weight and trying to eat virtually nothing, um, she, uh, she lost her period for, for three years. Um, and that caused a cascade of, of health problems, um, which included, among other things, her, her breaking five different bones uh, uh, in her body. Um, she never has performed at the level that, that her, her high school performances promised. Um, and, and she puts that squarely on uh, the, the shoulders of Alberto Salazar and the Nike Oregon Project um, for fixating so much on her weight and, and creating an unhealthy situation there for her. Um, she describes some really ugly situations, um, uh, such as him weighing her in front of all of her teammates um, and, and then chastising her because he hasn't hit a goal weight. Um, and at one point, she said after a national championship meet, um, she hadn't run well again because she just wasn't really running well during the time that she was there. Um, he yelled at her in the athlete's tent in front of everybody there um, and, uh, and said if she wasn't so fat, then she probably would have done a whole lot better. 
Um, and so, so needless to say, you know, coming right on the heels of, of Alberto Salazar's ban, um, this is uh, not a good thing. It's a pretty disturbing thing. Um, and as I said, I, I'm looking forward to talking to it more in depth this weekend uh, when Michelle's here. But I did want to give two quick takes and, and two things that I keep coming back to personally every time I see people talking about it. The first thing is that this is abuse. And it's important that we keep in mind what that term abuse actually means. Um, abuse is the improper use of power. Abuse is always about power, um, whether it's child abuse or, or physical abuse or sexual abuse or whatever it happens to be. It's always about gaining and maintaining power and control. Um, now, that power can come in a variety of forms. That power can come in terms of, of physical power. It can come in terms of economic power. Um, it can come in, in all sorts of different ways. Um, and I think it's important to keep in mind in this situation that Alberto Salazar was the powerful person and Mary Kane was not the powerful person. Now, he was powerful by virtue of knowing the system, by knowing the people, by controlling her life, by, by picking out where she was going to run, about how much money she would make, about, about where she was going to live. Um, and, and he had Nike's support in doing all of this stuff. Everything that Mary Kane had when she showed up in Oregon on the other side of the country where she had lived her entire life flowed entirely through him. Now, he decided to use her weight as an entry point for the abuse. He decided to fixate on her weight and a specific number related to her weight in order to, to flex his power over her and to, to maintain his, his control over her. Um, why did he do that? I'm not sure. I mean, I haven't done a psychological mock-up on, on Alberto Salazar, nor do I know anybody who has. But generally speaking, abusers gain some sort of gratification from being in control, from being the powerful one. Um, so how could Alberto most effectively exert his will over Mary Kane and over others, by the way, because there are several people, including Amy Begley, who's the, the head coach of, of the Atlanta Track Club elite team here in Atlanta, uh, who have said that, that they had similar experiences with Alberto Salazar. But how could he most effectively exert his will over Mary and Amy and others by forcing them to significantly alter their bodies to satisfy him? And so, so... That's important to keep in mind that sort of what abuse actually is and how it works. Um, now, it's important to keep in mind, too, like how do abused people act? Um, there's been a lot of folks who are saying, oh, well, you know, she could have left. And, and uh, Nike themselves said, you know what? She reached out to Alberta and wanted to come back into the Nike Oregon Project full back in April of 2019, not too long ago here. Um, most victims of abuse don't flee. They don't run away. Um, domestic abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, they, they don't try and get away necessarily. Um, rather, the, the, the standard behavior for abused people is to attempt and placate and appease the, abuse, uh, the abuser in order to try and de-escalate the tension and, and reduce their risk of harm. Um, and so, so for her to try and navigate the situation and try and, and, and de-escalate it in order to save herself a little bit, that's typical behavior of abused people. And so when you're evaluating what happened, you need to think about it in terms of abuse um, and, and how abuse actually occurs. Um, and that's one thing I kind of keep coming back to. Uh, the second quick take I have, and the other thing that I keep coming back to, is the fact that Mary Kane, when she went to the Nike Oregon Project, was 18 years old. 18 years old. 
Um, she was a child. Um, I work with people now. I'm a college professor that are 20, 21, 22 years old. Um, I taught high school for 15 years. High school and early college people can do some amazing things. They have powerful minds. They have incredible bodies that, that, that can accomplish great things. But, but it's always important to keep in mind that they're still kind of children um, and and when they leave home for the first time and they start to come under the wing of someone who is effectively going to be replacing their parents, um, that is a very, very vulnerable position. And, and the person that, that's going to be taking the spot of their parents is a profoundly influential person in their lives. Um, and so to expect her to, to, to approach this as a 25-year-old was, as a 27-year-old would, as a 30-year-old would, um, is totally unrealistic. Um, she was 18 years old. Um, she was a child, and that 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 is something I keep on coming back to every time I read about this. Um, it sickens me that, that that Alberto exploited her and and just really blew it the way that he did um, in this situation. Um, and, and we have to keep in mind the fact that she was 18 years old. She was a child uh, when we think about how she responded and what she did and, and her actions in the situation as well. So, like I said, we'll be talking more about it this weekend with Michelle. Um, but that was a long intro here. We had to talk about those two things prior to talk about Prentice. I apologize, Prentice, because I know that you're listening. Um, and I don't want to take anything away from your awesome interview and the, uh, the incredible project you've been undertaking. So... Uh, here we have our interview with Prentice Douglas talking about his Every Street San Francisco project. Prentice Douglas, welcome to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion podcast. Good afternoon. How are you, George? I am doing well. We appreciate you coming on here with us to tell us about this this really cool thing that you're up to. Yeah, I've, I've been working on this little kind of project. It's uh, something I noodled on for years, actually, and, and then finally kind of decided to do it earlier this year. I had... A couple of things that fell into place and then some things that I, I hadn't planned on and certainly helped kind of motivate me to go ahead and do something a little bit different. Right on, right on. Well, let's not bury the lead too much. So tell us exactly what it is you're up to because I think it's a super cool thing and it's actually something I consider doing myself. So tell us about it. Sure. Uh, so uh, I live in San Francisco. Um, my wife and daughter and I moved here in April. Uh, my wife and I had previously lived here and I had decided uh, at some point that I would like to run every single city street, every block in the city. Um, and I'd seen some other people had done something similar. There's a gentleman who had walked all the streets many years ago, and I thought, gosh, that sounds neat. Um, so I decided to kind of kind of decided to do that once we got back. And then, like I said, some things fell into place, and this seemed like the right time to do it. Right on, right on. What what's the what's the allure of it? So I mean, I I, can, I think I can appreciate it, but I imagine you've had a lot more time to think about how you actually articulate the the why are you doing this question. Sure, sure. So uh, I've lived here for almost twenty years, um, and I've been a runner here for probably fifteen of those. And uh, a lot of times, I'm training for a marathon or a half marathon. Um, and I kind of know where I'm going to go. I know here's if I'm going to do an eight miler, this is a good place to do it. If I'm going to do a track workout, I know where to do it. And I realized that I probably only covered uh, just a very, very small slice of the city. Kind of, this is a good place for a flat workout. This is a good place for this kind of workout. And I probably covered really in total maybe 50 miles, mm -hmm. uh, different miles, unique, unique blocks. Um, 
and thought, gosh, this would be a neat way to see it on foot. I've certainly driven a lot of the city. It's a very manageable city. It's not big. It's only 49, 50 square miles. Um, and so I thought this would be a great way to kind of see everything um, on, on ground level. I think a lot of us are like that. I mean, even even cyclists too. That that mm-hmm. we, we we get in the habit of saying, okay, this is the route. These are the streets I run on. And like, even if we just change like one block, like there's a, there's a roadblock one day or something else like that. We we go down this different block and it's almost like we're lost, you know. Sure, sure. Yeah, well, right. I've had a lot of those. Um. <laughs> Very good. So, did you start with did you start with your regular routes and then kind of move out from there, or how did you how did you approach it? How did you attack it? Sure. Um, I, uh, I had an overarching strategy before I ever started. And then once I started actually doing the mileage, um, I had to refine my strategy. So when we first moved here, I was still training for Big Sur. So I moved here in early April. I had Big Sur at the end of April. So a lot of that first month or so was just sticking to what I already knew. Okay. Um, so, so, so to interrupt you real quick, it sounds like though, as soon as you got back out there in April, you're like, this is something I'm doing. I knew beforehand. I okay, kind of yeah. thought I'll, I'll do it after I wrap up this marathon. But then I, I realized, well, I can just kind of incorporate this. If I need a, a long hill workout, then I'll do this and that'll knock off this street. Mm-hmm. And I probably only had two or three weeks of kind of overlap, if you, if you will. Okay, okay cool. Cool, cool. Very good. So, so how'd you attack it then? So, so as soon as it came time, you, you finished Big Sur, what did uh-huh. uh, So I, I, um, I actually, ironically enough, uh, got an injury coming off of uh, Big Sur. So that really did hamper my progress a little bit. Uh, and so I was running 50 to 60 miles a week, ran Big Sur, and then the next six weeks I was probably running five miles a week, maybe 10 if I was lucky. So it, uh, I kind of had to just stick to the stuff that was near me and uh, really just take it easy. Um, I, I have a, a map that aggregates all the runs, and I don't know if this is ego or just seeing things complete. It was neat to see entire neighborhoods covered in lines. Like, I'm, I'm done with this neighborhood. That's satisfying. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took me a while to realize that that probably is um, – a bad strategy because after a while you you have exhausted everything in your neighborhood and so then to get to new material new new ground you have to run over the same stuff over and over right um, so that that kind of changed my strategy a little bit but you, you kind of learn by doing okay okay what so what what software were you using a software map or is that is that what you mean or, or how did that I actually do, work yeah. i know you, you switched I, that it's what at some point didn't you I uh, initially, so everything gets recorded. I have a Garmin GPS watch. It mm-hmm. pushes to Strava. Um, uh, Strava has a, a heat map application. I don't love it. It's not great for uh, zooming in, and it's just populated with dots. It doesn't really show routes. Not that I need the routes, but um, it, it's not super uh, for what I was trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I looked around. I am not a coder, so trying to put something on G maps was kind of over my skis. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I found that there are other people that are doing endeavors like this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I was able to kind of push all the, the content, if you will, Mm -hmm. to this citystrides.com website. Um, that's not a plug. I'm not, not paid to endorse (laughs) citystrides.com. Um, but, uh, in a sense, you become friends with City Strides. Mm-hmm. They become one of your contacts in Strava, and so they 
they call that daily that daily effort and place it on a map for you. So it's easy to kind of see progress. It's easy to see what you've missed. Um, and it's kind of fun to see what other people are doing at the same time because there's obviously a, a social piece to it. For sure, for sure. So so you go on City Strides, you see the map. Do you then kind of say, all right, my run tomorrow, I, I have to run about five miles, and so I'm going to get these five streets or these six streets? Or how does that actually work? Yeah, so um, it, it'll kind of tie in, and we can talk about it down the road here a little bit. But um, since I kind of run across everything near me, right? I take I take buses to start my runs, mm-hmm. and uh, since the bus frequency when I run is um, laughably low, uh, <laughs> I usually develop three routes for any given day. And then when I wake up, I see what bus is coming in 10 or 15 minutes, and then that's what route I choose to do. So one one bus will go south, one will go east, one will go west. I'll see which one's coming the soonest. And then, like like you said, I've, I've got a five-miler. I've kind of mapped out a five-miler for all three of those starting points. Do you have to take the bus home then too? Uh, often I will get it as close as I can to my house. So there's one, uh, by the time I'm finishing, the frequency and, and the number of lines have opened up a little bit. So I can get a little bit closer to home at that point. But sometimes if I see a bus isn't coming for five minutes and I'm a mile away, well, then I can I can probably beat the bus at that point. Right, so. right, right, right. Very good, very good. So it seems like, given what you're describing, as you go along, it, it gets harder. To, to, to do right right because, because um, the streets get farther farther apart and they get fewer and farther between and you have to take more buses to get to them I mean is that true uh, yes H- harder I was waiting to hear what, what our definition of hard was uh, the the <laughs> logistically material is, harder logistically harder. The, the logistically it's more of a headache um, because I'm now at a point I'm about ninety percent complete eighty to ninety percent complete mm-hmm. um, there are really only two or three bus lines that really help me Mm -hmm. at this point. So I'm kind of down to how do I get downtown? How do I get to the southeast part of the city? There's really two ways to do it. Um, So it does get a a little bit more challenging, exactly. Very good, very good. And so you say you're about 80 to 90% done? I am, I am. Right on, man. Right on, very good. Top half and kind of the southeast is a mess. The southwest is kind of open but um but yeah making making uh making some hay here very good and and san francisco it it kind of it does it kind of lend itself to this I know, I know that you you and i when we talked about it several months ago you talked about how it's sort of bounded on different sides like it has pretty pretty solid boundaries right sure so if i if i complete this when i think i'm going to complete it and then i review the map in 10 years from now there really won't be a lot of new ground because um, we're bound on three quarters of the sides by by water, mm-hmm. and then the southern border is a, a county line. Mm-hmm. So unless unless uh, there's some eminent domain between counties, I, there's not going to be any new roads that I need to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if that kind of helps, so there's it's not a, a city. There's rapid urban growth and it's spreading out and there's going to be new subdivisions that I would have to consider adding if I ever wanted to. Like I'm done when I'm done. Right, right, right. Very cool. Very cool. And then 
you know, when I've looked at your map a few times, and, and so I briefly considered doing this in where I live, in Marietta, Georgia. And, sure. And so what you just described is one of the reasons why it would be problematic for me in, in, in my hometown, because they build a new subdivision, suddenly there's a new road. It's like, oh, wait. Um, right. You know, and, and, and not only would that be problematic during the course of the project, but like if they opened up a new road the week after I was done with the project, that'd be a real kind of buzzkill. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, I don't want that to be a deterrent for you because I, I want to encourage you and your listeners to consider things like this because there's a lot of unintended benefits and consequences. But um, but yeah, that's that's certainly, um, you know, for lack of better words, a risk that you right have on, to take. Right if, on, right on. So, so, and, and I, I want to get to those benefits here in a second, but, but I've also noticed in looking at the maps that, that, that you've, you've sent my way over the course of the past few months, that it looks like the streets are kind of laid out fairly um, uh, perpendicular to one another, right? It, it, looks, like, it looks like the blocks are, are, are kind of square. Is that right? So that, that was one of my early strategies. You, you reminded me of that, is I chose to do the kind of obvious grids um, to start with, probably just because I wasn't sure how I was going to tackle the neighborhoods that are very, very hilly, um, where streets are not laid out in a very perpendicular grid. I didn't, I didn't have a plan for that yet. And I kind of wanted to just see how I was doing. Uh, but you're right in the Northeast part of the city and the Western part of the city, very straightforward, perfect grids. There are alleys and dead ends and things like that, but you know, you go down a street, you go over a block, you come back another street, rinse, repeat. You do that over and over. Um, it, where I am now, it's sometimes very hard to come up with a route where I'm not doubling back uh, on myself mm-hmm. for 20, 30 percent of the run. OK. OK. Um, that's called the in that called the traveling salesman phenomenon. There is a traveling salesman. There is another postman problem. I can't remember all of them. I think if I. Uh, knew someone and maybe this is a, a, a little nudge nudge to your listeners if, if somebody uh, has, a, has some coding background and an area of expertise in this um, they could maybe uh, come up with a little cottage industry and piggyback off of the uh, city strides or Strava websites to say right. here's how you can do this um, right, right, pay right. 1999 or whatever because you do have to I mean you have had to run down to dead ends and alleys and turn around and run back out and, and uh, yeah. Yeah. That's that's certainly a, a lot of ground. So I looked on the city's website um, many months ago just to get a sense for how much mileage this is. Like I said, it's about a 50 square mile city. There's certainly a lot of parks and other things that don't have a lot of roads, but it's it's about 11 or 1200 miles. I can't remember off the top of my head, but when you consider how inefficient uh, my runs are, I figured it was probably 20, 25 percent inefficient interesting um and so that puts me you know closer to 1500 miles total um and so yeah it's a lot of alleys it's a lot of well how am i going to do this i'm gonna have to run this entire block a second time looping right back over in the exact same direction Mm -hmm. that i just did 30 minutes ago Mm -hmm. um kind of feel like a a goldfish swimming around (laughs) looking at the same same treasure chest Ooh, treasure chest but I think that's uh, I think that's a good thing to keep in mind for people who do want to do it is that you know you, you you get the information from your city and it's like oh it's a you know 800 miles not a big deal I can do 800 miles that'll only take me you know eight months or something like that and then and then they come to realize that oh no wait it's going to take about 1200 miles or more 
you know, did right. to be able to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Um, well, so you talk about getting the information from the city. Did did you have to get maps from the city or, or anything else like that? Or uh, there are a few things. I'm sure every major metro probably has this, but uh, there's a database of a million things uh, for any major metro, and one of them was city streets. It didn't have a ton of information, and I probably didn't know if I was searching to the ends of the earth to find it, but it had a very quick summary of how many miles are streets that are maintained by the city, how many are maintained by the park service, how many are private streets, and it came up to around 1,100 miles. It didn't give a breakdown of what street is belongs to who and, and, and that, but it gave me a sense, high level, here, here's what I've got. Right. Very good. Very good. There was a guy named Ricky Gates, and I know you know who sure. that is. Um, sure. and, and Ricky Gates is an ultra runner, and, and he did this in San Francisco as well. Um, and uh, uh, he got, I want to say, he, he slept out on course and stuff like that, right? And didn't he run like 50 or 60 miles a day or something? He knocked out the whole thing in like six weeks. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not like, you know, taking this to a place where I'm going to be making funny because you do the same thing, Prentice. But, but, no but, 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 but in fact, it's kind of the opposite. So, so he went slowly and he made like a point to try and eat in all the restaurants and all that sort of thing, you know? And, yes. and he, uh, he, they, they have a YouTube summary video about it and stuff like that. But your project, it seems like it's really different just by virtue of, of the way that you're going about it. And you know, you're sleeping at home every night, imagine that, and, and, and things like that. Can you talk a little bit about sort of what he did and then how that maybe informed what you did and how what you're doing is a little bit different? Sure. So like I said, there's a guy, Tom Graham, and uh, back in the mid-2000s, early you know, 2000, 2010, uh, there was an article in the local paper, The Chronicle, and uh, he was wrapping up his project of walking every single street. And cool. it, I was like, wow, this sounds like an amazing project. He was, I think, retired or close to retirement. And um, this was certainly before GPS watches. So he just had a paper map and he would go walk the city. And and I thought, this sounds like something I would want to do. And then I got to the part where it said it took him seven years. And so that ended the conversation for me and I never thought of it again. Sure. And then I did see uh, the Ricky Gates uh, video um, by November, October of 2018. And it's wonderful. I mean, it's fascinating. There's a lot of talking heads of him talking and video. And it's it's a beautiful little summary of what he's done. Um, but like you said, he, he has a van. I don't even have a van. Uh, <laughs> so he, he was he was sleeping in this van. And I don't know if he slept every night, but he, he is also a professional runner. Right. Um, I am not. Um, he could do 30 to 50 miles a day. I, I'm lucky if I can do 15 on a Saturday. Um, so he, he was obviously doing a lot more mileage. He's also running in the daytime. Uh, we haven't talked about that. I, I finish every single run by seven o'clock AM. Um, AM. Oh, wow. So I, I, I am a early morning runner. I seldom run in the daytime. I almost never run in the evening. Um, so he, he had the luxury, uh, if you want to call it luxury, of being able to eat a burrito, which is reckless, um, I would think, in the <laughs> middle of a run. Uh, I'm lucky if there's a donut shop open um, when I'm out there. Uh, there's a few laundromats I'll see if I need to refill a water bottle. But there's there's not a lot of people out when I'm, I'm doing things. So there's a little bit different. Um, but I think what he did was absolutely remarkable and um, really, really cool. So that certainly was an inspiration. There's, there's other people who have done similar things. There's a guy who's done done his bus, his uh, commute 
to and from his office on his bike in London. A guy I just learned about, and he has a really fantastic video, kind of spark lines and lightning bolts of every single commute in central London. It also took him many years. Um, but one of the things that I read on his blog, the guy's name is Davis Villains, um, if I'm saying it right, is, is he called it a, a wonderful waste of time. Hmm. And um, I'm sure for someone who's never done this before, they probably wouldn't understand that. But as soon as I read it, I knew exactly what he was talking about. Because hmm. you spend a ton of time mapping out where do I go today or where am I going to go tomorrow and how much mileage and how do I make sure that I'm not just doing the same thing over um, and I'm sick of this neighborhood. So I want to go run this neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So I, as soon as I read that wonderful waste of time, I thought that that was four words that summarize it right here. Mm -hmm. I love it, but I'm looking forward to wrapping it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right on, right on. So, so you talked about the fact that you, you finish all of your runs by 7am, which I didn't realize you finished them that early. I knew that you were a morning runner. But geez, yes. I didn't realize you finished them that early. So, so, and that that's obviously a challenge that changes the nature of uh, of it. Can you talk about some of the, some more of the challenges? I know that San Francisco is not flat, for example. No, no. <laughs> so there's certainly the the aspect of of waking up early. I've, I've never struggled with waking up early, but I, I'm usually starting between four and four thirty, okay. um, or at least getting on the bus around four. Um, uh, I feel that it's the safest time. For me as a runner because there's the fewest cars um california you're not supposed to be talking on your telephone with it in your hand so you don't see a lot of people talking on the phone because who wants to talk on the phone at four anyway uh <laughs> i don't run on the sidewalks which i'm sure there's a uh entire community that split on this but um so i'm running the street i want to be out there early i don't want to deal with a lot of other cars or risks um but uh, there's a lot of weird activity that's going on at those hours. I um, At those hours, I've seen very few runners and until I get to like 6 o'clock. Mm -hmm. um, I see a lot of uh, garbage trucks. I see a, a lot of uh, working girls. Um, a lot of – and if, if you haven't been to San Francisco or certainly are aware of it, there's a, a, a real challenge with um, people experiencing homelessness right. in the city. And so there's – you know the numbers vary and probably hard to track, but many thousands of people living on the streets. And so uh, those are things that kind of make you a little anxious when you're the only person running at, at 5, 4, 4 or 5 in the morning. Um, but I haven't had anything but maybe two or three uh, – quote-unquote confrontations um but since i'm running uh, the confrontation is short i i'm moving away from it <laughs> um but you're right it's a it's a very hilly city um there are flat spots um so if, if you're thinking this would be a, a great uh project to meld into a marathon training plan um unless you're planning on running like pike's peak or <laughs> or something up Mount Everest. Uh, it's 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 not. I don't think it's really a great tr training uh, plan. I, I haven't really made it a plan, but uh, it's it's pretty pretty tough on the on the knees up and down and the quads. Uh, but you know, I'm not not running a normal pace. I'm just kind of slogging through it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would guess that that, and we're going to talk about in a little while, like like what's next for you and all that sort of thing. But. Um, I would guess that the fact that you're you're making your determinations 
on what you're going to run based on the roads that you need to cover mm-hmm. as, op- as opposed to this is how I'm feeling today or this is the number of miles and this is my training goal for the day. I, w- I would imagine that's a much different approach to, to, to the run. Right. It is. It is, George. I think one of the things is I look at a map and I start to map out what are the streets that I need to cover, uh, irrespective of what the terrain looks like. Right. You know, I've, I've lived in the city long enough to know this part of the neighborhood or this part is really hilly or this part's flat. So this will kind of be easy on me. Um, but once you put your sneakers on the pavement, you realize, oh, this is four blocks and it, it looks like a roller coaster ascent. Um, and, and you're running up a hill when your average pace is maybe, I don't know, eight and a half minutes over the course of a run, you might be putting in 12 or 13 minute miles going up some of these hills. Some of them are so steep that they're switchbacks or they're stairs. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I probably, um, probably think more about the streets rather than how difficult to run is actually going to be. I'm just mileage and streets. Right. Right, right. Very good, very good. And so I know that you have like some rules that you made for yourself, um, mm-hmm. because because you, and, and what made me think of is you just mentioned like stairs, for example. Because I know like Lombard Street, right? Has, yes. Has, it, it has stairs over on the side. Do you take the stairs or you stay on the street? Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, if uh, it, so, I'll, I'll say this, and this is not intended to make the conversation longer than it needs to be. Um, <laughs> that's okay. I make a lot of these decisions in situ. I don't make them beforehand. I get to the street and I think, ah, this street is insidious. I'm taking the <laughs> stairs. Um, this street, I'm feeling like I'm feeling good. It's, it's early in the run. I'm, you know, two miles in, I'm going to, I'm going to run the street. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've certainly gotten to 10 miles in and, and I'm looking for some steps, mm-hmm. um, both, you know, climbing and, and descending. Um, because I really don't want to tumble down the entire street. Right, right. You want to go skidding down Skid Row. Um, That's right. The the so so. What are some of the the other rules that you've given yourself? Do you, do you have some hard fast hard and fast rules that you don't make up while, as you're going along? I'm sure um, you do. Certainly beforehand, like I said, we we covered. I I, I get home by seven, um, and that's so that uh, my wife can get ready for work. And so I that's can actually that's actually a rule you've made for yourself then. It is. It is a rule because uh, this is my endeavor. This doesn't need to be part of my family's project. Um, I don't want to compromise family time Mm -hmm. to go do this, whether it's a wonderful waste of time or not. Um, This is my thing, and and I don't want it to put undue burden on anyone else. Um, So that's one of them. Um, Like I said, I I run in the dark for a few reasons. One, I think it's safer. Two, I don't really like getting a lot of sunscreen in my eyes by running in the daytime, um, and so that's that's another reason why I choose choose to run at night. Um, I don't drive to any runs. We only have one car, and so I don't want to strand my wife without means to get somewhere. There's obviously a bus system, and we don't live far from a hospital, so she could certainly get there. And with Ubers and cabs, you know, there's there's always options, but I, I feel like I don't need to be, you know, running and driving to get somewhere, spending 20 minutes to get somewhere. Also, a lot of my runs are point to point. So driving to a a distance would driving 20 minutes somewhere. I've I've still got to get back to the car. Yeah, you'd you'd end up repeating even more than you do already. 
You do, exactly. So that, that was another reason. That kind of was a benefit of not taking the car, but it was never my in, intent. Um, like I said, I'll, I ride the bus, but those are kind of, that's probably it. When I'm on the run, uh, I've, I've learned to, if you find a dead end street, um, I, I, I'm flexible on this, but I generally choose not to take it. Hmm. Like if I pass one perpendicular and I think, oh, it's dead end, I should knock this out. I try to actually stick to the game plan because what you'll end up finding is there's a hidden set of stairways that doesn't show up on the map mm. that is dead end for cars, but not a dead end for runners. Uh, so I've kind of picked up a street and I didn't need to. So sticking to the game plan, you know, not not saying, oh, I feel good today. I'm going to do 12 instead of 10. Just do what you do and then come back tomorrow. Interesting. Interesting. That that last one is not necessarily what I would have expected because because I, I would I would feel inclined to be like oh let me knock this out real quick. Did did you learn right. that? Did you learn that the hard way? <laughs> I learned it the hard way, absolutely. Because I would go down a street and like oh gosh this is a short one, it, and like I said it's it's satisfying to to knock a street off. There's you know twenty five hundred streets in the city, and it's anytime you knock one off it's one less street to have to come back to. And and what I realized a bunch of times. Um, was that there's so many streets that are it's so steep at some point that they they don't continue the street because it would be such a straight steep descent that uh that they make it stairs mm -hmm. just for pedestrians and for people who live in the neighborhood so they can get from point A to point B mm -hmm. um, and so I realized oh, I should I should just wait for these hit them when I hit them on foot mm -hmm. don't try and knock out these little streets here and there. Stick to the plan. I mean, that's stick know, to the plan. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's good advice. The the you mentioned your wife a minute ago and how you try and get back before seven, and and you've alluded to this a couple of times, and we probably should have actually really said this at the outset, but um, but you you've run marathons before, and you and I met when we both did a did a, a ultra marathon. I don't know what would you call that a relay? It wasn't a relay because we weren't handing off, but but we we, we did a ten by five k, whatever you want to call that. We did a, a ten by five k, but actually, George, if you'll recap or just step back a sec, we met there, but we actually knew each other beforehand um, because we were in a dubstep chat room, <laughs> and so that was how we first actually became friends. Certainly, we didn't know that we were runners at that point, but. Um, our, our, I, I, our, I, I, didn't, I didn't realize that you had seen through my dubstep chat noom pseudonym. Uh, <laughs> well, it was fairly obvious. So, oh, <laughs> well, if your listeners, they can find it themselves. But, um, but right, you're, you're right. Uh, don't mean to take us off track. But we met in uh, near Charleston, and we did a uh, a ten by five k, um, kind of a cross country uh, right. rinse repeat. Um, right, right, right. Really, really and, a fun event. So, so how how and I, and I think it's interesting because I imagine that that. So, so your wife knows you as a runner, and and, sure. and she has had to to make sacrifices in the past for the sake of you getting training and all that sort of thing. And so, I think it's right. interesting that you kind of said, okay, for this one, I'm actually going to set it up and I'm going to impose some rules on myself where it's not going to affect her as much. Well, I would say that certainly that is was my intent, but it's probably been a goal of mine to always be home and not be this. Okay. I'm gone for two hours on a a long run. I realize that um, certainly th this is not rendering judgment. I don't play golf. I don't do a lot of these other activities that have to be done in the daytime that would take away. So I, I guess that it's a blessing that my hobby can be done whenever. Um, but I, I don't really want to make this a competing interest. Um, they can they can follow. They can look at the map and they can see stuff if they want to 
come out. Certainly, I don't know why anyone would want to, but but that that's not. I don't I don't like to um, kind of mix activities and family time. And they'll go if I have a marathon. They'll go probably 80% of the time for a half marathon. They may, if it's nearby, um, we can make a trip out of things. But uh, this is just kind of kind of my thing, I guess. Yeah, cool. I get that. So so tell us more about some of the, the, the additional kind of insights and observations, the stuff you've learned throughout the process. So, so we're, we're talking now, and it's, it's early November. You started mm-hmm. it basically in April. And so that's, yep. what, like six, seven months you've been at it? Right. So, 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 tell us some of the, some of the big takeaways you've had, some of your insights and observations here. Uh, some of them are running related. Um, some of them are just being here related. So, like I said, we, we lived here. I lived here for um, 15, 16 years before moving to North Carolina in 2014, and then we moved back here in uh, in April. So I've been gone for five years, but we would come back because of um, family that we would come visit. So I certainly had known the city as a runner, uh, heard, hadn't run everywhere, but certainly been exposed to a lot. But um, certainly the element of uh, homelessness is, um, is stark, stark and uh, it is has gotten worse. So that's one thing you notice a lot more, I feel like, as a runner, like I'm on streets that I used to go do some work on and there's just a lot more there. So um, uh, I would say that noticing that, hopefully having more empathy towards it, but also being frustrated at the same time. Um, and, and you're bound to see that, just to interject, you're bound to see that because normally you might skip those streets or those streets sure. might not be part. I mean, to circle back around to one of the very first things we talked about, normally, like if you didn't have that on your route, you might be like, oh, well, I'm outside and I'm in the streets all the time. I don't think really homeless is all that much of a problem. But the fact that you've right. had to go down other streets that you wouldn't normally traverse, you see it. Sure. Right? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I would contend that I, there are more people sleeping in tents in San Francisco on any given night than there are in our national parks. Um, and I'm not doing any – I didn't check any data, but it's staggering. And so that's one observation um, – and there's other rule laws that have probably changed in the last few years that have certainly changed that. But that that's kind of one of my observations. Um, it's obviously not running related. Another one is um, the relaxation of uh, recreational marijuana laws hmm. has uh, lightened, <laughs> loosened uh, since I was gone. And so I have found there is not a neighborhood in the city where there isn't someone smoking dope uh, <laughs> at four in the morning. Uh, there is, it's always a popular activity. It doesn't seem like uh, time affects that. So that was one thing. Um, well, I, but, I, I, just... I, but I wonder, okay, so on that note then, so let's talk about that one. Because you talk about running at four o'clock in the morning, and I think I've said this on this podcast before, and I might have said it to you before. I always feel like running in the four o'clock hour is weird. Because it's certainly weird. B- because because the four o'clock hour, some people are going to bed and some people are getting up, and yep. so 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 like you said, you see some people are ending their night or maybe looking to extend their night. Whereas yes. if if you go out at five thirty, people are pretty much in. Like there's That's not right. there's not bartenders going home, and so I wonder like, like so if you started a run at at four fifteen, and you finished it at say five thirty. Would would the amount of pot smell decrease throughout the course of that run because you're moving out of the four a.m. hour and into the five a.m. hour? Ah, oh, I, I love I love data. I love <laughs> stats like this, and so I've got 
about 200 miles to now we have a hypothesis and okay. I can test right. the null hypothesis and I will get back to you. Right. I, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't have a strong feeling one way or the other, but I, I love, I love the question. Good to know. All right. So what else? So, 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 uh, a lot of homelessness, a lot of pot smoking, what else you, what else have you seen? I'm talking everyone out of this project, right? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Um, um so it's just it's really neat. Uh, I've run at nine o'clock one time over the last few months, and it's obviously a completely different experience because there's people that are going out or heading to dinner and things like that. Um, it was neat, but I'm like, ah, I feel much safer in the morning because I just think that there's probably fewer cars on the road. But it is fun to run through neighborhoods when there's nothing going on. Like you'll see some somebody reading their newspaper. But you think, oh, this is a, a neat little neighborhood. I never knew it existed. Uh, I bet you 95% of the people who live in the city don't know about it. And 99% uh, of the people who visit the city have no idea what this is like. Most people think of you know, Golden Gate Bridge and Alcatraz and Fisherman's Wharf and things like that. But um, it's a very, very diverse city, obviously. But just the it's not all apartments. It's homes. It's um. It has a suburb feel at certain times. It can be very, very quiet. Um, so that part is really neat. And it's neat to kind of think, gosh, what if I moved here? What if I lived in this part of town? What would my life be like? So you can do that when you're not doing a workout. Like when you're doing a workout and you're training for a race, you're thinking, ah, I got to do two miles easy and seven miles of tempo and then two miles easy. You're kind of focused on that. Maybe you get lost in a podcast, but I don't wear headphones because I want to hear the cars. So you just kind of focus on what you're doing. You kind of have your head on a swivel if you need to. But you can really observe a lot more when there's no other distractions short of you and you and the, the streets. Right on. Um, that, that was actually a question I had. So, so do you feel, because you're paying, you, you obviously have to pay closer attention to kind of where you're going because you're you know, running literally new routes every day. Yeah. Do you feel as if you're more attuned to your surroundings than you would be otherwise? And is that a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, I think yes and yes. I think it's a good thing. Uh, I think it's awesome because I get to see such neat stuff and I am paying attention and how far am I getting away and where's the nearest bus line or if I need to refill my water bottle, where am I? Um, you do have to be more flexible. Um, I do think it gets you get better at problem solving. Um, Whereas if, if I'm going to go run a 10-miler right now and I'm training for a race, I know exactly where I'm going. I know exactly what I'm going to pass. I know where it's hard. I know where it's easy. I know where I stop if I need a bio break or if I need to real, refill. Like I, that's That part, you've kind of outsourced 90% of the thinking. Um, I have to be thinking all the time. Mm. What if I miss a street? Right. When am I going to come back? Do I get it now or do I find a way to squeeze this in another day? You do have to be more flexible, and you just you, you can't be hard and fast about things. It's harder, though. I mean, it, that, that makes it more mentally draining. That that makes you know your standard forty minute run. That's a much harder forty minutes mentally if you, if you have to be that engaged, that tuned in the entire time, right? So this is obviously unintended, and and I certainly didn't expect this. I had no idea. Uh, that these would be the insights that I would garner. I thought that they would all be kind of observational about the city. I didn't think I would be learning as much about kind of me and what happens. So as a result, since I'm covering new ground, the material, the ground is, is, uh, is more rigorous than just kind of an easy breeze through the park. 
um, my pace is much slower. Hmm. So if my average training pace for a week, if I were running 60 miles and some of that's fast, some of it's slow, is it's probably like eight minute miles. Certainly I can run a lot faster than that. But but this, it's it's probably closer to nine because one, I'm trying to think and trying not to make mistakes. And, hmm. and it's very hard to run a, a you know, 620 mile when the you have a 20% grade. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm thinking more about stuff. And if I'm cruising by something that I didn't see on the map, then I have to make a decision. Do I want to do it now or do it later? Um, is this a good street to run down? There's certainly, I've, I've had some made some game time decisions on this street just doesn't, doesn't feel good or this alley. Hmm. Certainly, uh, I, this, this didn't show up on the map. Um, so uh, huh. that, that definitely kind of does a, a normal 40 minutes is, is a lot different than a, a regular 40 minutes. For sure. For sure. Um, and, and next thing I'll ask you, and this will kind of segue into, to, to how the project fits into your overall goals here. Um, mm-hmm. how do you feel fitness wise? I mean, I'm looking at you right now on Skype here and you look fit, man. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I think the camera takes off five pounds. That's what I've heard. I mean, I, uh, I, I don't know why you insisted that we talk with your shirt off, but you know, whatever. You look fit. <laughs> well, I just got waxed, so I wanted to show it off <laughs> for your listeners at home. Um, so, uh, how's this fit into my training? Um, so it's interesting. I, I had a really, really good CIM or not CIM, a really good big serve. I had a PR. Um, I probably took five minutes off of my goal time. I was uh, really excited. And uh, one of my kind of lifelong running goals is to break three hours. And I, I ran 305 at Big Sur, which I think is a challenging course. And I thought that that knocks seven minutes off my PR. Knocking another five off is no, no easy endeavor, but pick an easier course, maybe I could do this. Um, but then to, to back up a little bit, you know, like I said, I, I came off this plantar fasciitis injury. And, and so my thought was initially to do CIM uh, at the end of this year. And I would use this run the city project, uh, as my training. I'm, I'm glad I didn't, um, one, because I, I don't think this is great training for a marathon, but also I, I came to the conclusion that I've run a few marathons and are kind of piggybacked off each other. So if I do that, it's going to be almost two years of marathon training, yeah. which uh, I, I've never had a great race in Sacramento. Uh, I've run it a few times and never really done very well. And so I thought, well, let's just do this project. Let's not worry about CIM because if I, if I break three hours, cool. If I don't, then I'm really running myself into the ground, uh, pun intended. Um, so I decided not do that. I, uh, I did get a qualifying time for Boston from my Big Sur marathon. So I thought, well, I can, I can do that in 2020. Um, but my preference is to, to run Big Sur. Uh, I would do it again. I like it. It's close. It's a beautiful course. Uh, it's also a lottery. Um, so it wasn't a foregone conclusion that I would get in. So when I did get in to Big Sur again for 2020, then I'll, I'll use that. And I don't know if I can break three hours for that course, but certainly now I know some of the things that, uh, you know, I think I can shave off a minute or two because I think this training has really helped me on going faster up hills and helping me deal a little bit faster with going down hills. So I think it has been some of the benefits, um, from a fitness standpoint, uh, I felt like I was pretty fit. Uh, when I'm trying to carve off a couple minutes, I'm trying to think about where do I do it? And I think, it helps you kind of think about 
it's not my overall pace that I'm trying to change. It's probably just a, a few few spots on the course where I think I could carve off. Right on, right on. I, I think you made the right choice not going with CIM. And and, and the reason why is because I think that, you know, you said you have about 200 miles left now, right? And so, so you probably you probably would have finished it kind of right on time, but at the same time, these the last six weeks here, and certainly the next four weeks between now and CIM, which is about a month away, right? You would have been thinking more about okay, what do I need to be doing in order to get ready for the race, and, and yeah. maybe I should push the uphills today, or maybe I should do this other, as opposed to actually you know really dedicating yourself to the, to this project. So so I think it would have tattooed the the, the final stages of this project in, in a way that would have taken away from it. You know, sure. Um, you know, I'm used to a normal 16, 18 week cycle for a marathon, which incorporates a lot of different stuff, a long run, some easy miles, some tempo, some track. I haven't done any speed workout since April. Um, I did do a 10 K a, a few months ago, but, but that I haven't done anything where I've, I've probably run 1200 miles and I bet you I've run fewer than 50 faster than seven minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it would have been hard to think about squeezing in a, a normal training cycle yeah. into this project. Yeah. So I don't have any second thoughts about it. And it really would have taken away from it, I think, because you would have had to start making decisions less about what roads to follow and more about what the workout needed to be. Because this is going to ruin my knees. This is going to blast my quads. <laughs> have, you, uh, have, you, have you thought about doing Boston to Big Sur, by the way? You uh, talked about so, Boston. You talked about Big Sur. How about Boston sure. to Big Sur? Doing both. Yes. So uh, I, I, uh, I did actually do that mm. probably in 2011. Um, I didn't do it the way that the uh, course uh, directors, the race directors probably think of you doing it. I, um, I qualified for Boston. I ran Boston. I didn't want to commit to Big Sur. Plus, I didn't get in the lottery. Mm. Um, and I didn't know about running two marathons in two weeks. Mm-hmm. But, but I, did, I did find a bib on Craigslist. Mm. And so after Boston, which I had not had a great Boston, um, I thought, well, this this is a chance to redeem myself. I don't exactly know what I was thinking. Um, I was <laughs> younger and even dumber than I am now, believe it or not. Um, so I, I ran as somebody else, and I had an awful, awful mix. That's, that's what you get for banditing, Prentice. So, <laughs> so, so lesson learned. Karma's a bitch. <laughs> I, I am a slow learner because I did it a few times and then I spill on a race and thought, ah, this is the last time. I'm too, I'm too, uh, I've got to be a grown up here. So you're right. Um, I, so to answer the question, I, maybe I would, but I think, I think it has to be part of a better plan or a more structured plan. Sure. If my goal is to break three hours in a race, then, a, mm-hmm. then I don't think I can do that and have both of those be on my plate at the same time. I think right. I would kind of have to, I mean, I'm probably still chasing PRs in my mind, I think, whether I right. am or not. Um, but I don't think that's the way to do it. I think you kind of say both of these are going to be um, for the experience and not for the racing piece of it. Um, right. That's kind of what I heard too. And just kind of what you were saying is that, that it seems like your priority is less about running two races in two weeks and more about getting under three hours for the first time. And, and, I, I totally support that. I mean, you know, the, the, those barriers matter. I think they matter to everybody, um, and I think that's yeah. cool. I think that's cool. Um, all right, man, very good. 
Um, well, give a few shout-outs because I know that folks have supported you along the way. Sure. Besides, sure. besides of course, giving a shout-out to us. That kind of goes without saying. But, you know, <laughs> well, so. this has been a lot of fun. I've, I've listened to your podcast uh, since we met and really enjoyed it. I like the variety. I like the listeners or the, the guests you have on your show and just – how it's uh, it's uh, it's never the same thing. So I, I, uh, I hope hopefully your listeners don't think this one's too weird. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I have a few shout outs. Like I have a, uh, a lot of people that are checking in. If you've run marathons, a lot of your listeners have. Um, I'll say at this point, no one really wants to hear about anyone else's marathon. I mean, unless you're doing something really cool, you're doing the Olympic trials, or you're going overseas or you're doing something for the first time. Uh, I think we're at a point where people are probably tired of hearing about marathons. Um, but I could be wrong, but I, I have a bunch of buddies that I've trained with or run with. Um, my buddy Kevin Courtney with the Cult 45 Social Club, he's always sending me stuff that he finds on Reddit of people that are doing stuff like this, and he's been very encouraging. Um, I, I met a lot of the um, guys that I ran with in Raleigh through an organization called F3, and I know that uh, you've had other uh, guests on your show that um, – our active participants and that's been a, a, a lot of fun to have them interested because a lot of those folks uh, who who I'm friends with have maybe not been to San Francisco or California so they get to get a little bit of a lens on what I see when I'm doing these things and whether that's uh, enticing or not. Um, I volunteer with a group here in San Francisco called Back on My Feet um, which is a, a nation national uh, nationwide organization which um, really is a neat approach there combating homelessness through the power of running, community support and um, em uh, employment and housing resources. So I meet with them twice a week and we might run one mile or three miles, but um, just kind of a, a neat organization. I would encourage your listeners to look it up uh, in their cities. Um, I've, I've really benefited from it. Uh, and I'd, I'd be foolish not to mention my, my wife and daughter. I mean, they, <laughs> they, they put up with the, me coming in at seven o'clock and being, sweaty and stinky and uh fixing them breakfast and um they don't complain they have a good time with it and uh so that's that's you know people like you who, who ask me questions how's it going what what have you seen today uh that that's it's made it a lot more fun than me just not feeling like i'm doing this by myself and uh that's that's probably a, a lot of joy right there right on man right on well well kudos for a variety of things kudos for working with uh, back on my feet because uh, you know you mentioned how much you're 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 being stared in the face by by that issue in San Francisco right now. So so kudos for not being like oh well that sucks I'm going to go about my day. But you're actually you know converting that into some sort of action. So so kudos on that. But but also uh, what I, the other thing I was going to say is kudos for uh, for for doing something different and trying something new, man. I, uh, I I I always encourage folks to to try and figure out new ways to do to do the same old stuff. So so very cool. I'm glad you're doing it. It's definitely prevented some of the burnout that I fear that I may be exposing myself to. And so while I've enjoyed this and I look forward to being done, I actually can't wait to get back into a marathon training because, one, I won't be riding the bus to go do it <laughs> and I can just get started. Uh, so I feel like I'll probably gain six to seven hours uh, back of my time and yeah. I can do more core workouts and do more strength training that I've kind of overlooked the last few months. Um, so... My wife probably thinks I'm nuts going rolling into a marathon, but I think she, when I pointed out, I'll be around a lot more, and I, right. you know, I can actually do some other stuff, and we can do some things together, um, like a spin class or things like that. Um, that that's that'll be a benefit. 
Right on, right on. Very cool. So, last question. Uh, 200 miles to go. What's your what's your expected end date here? When can we uh, all go on Strava and, and, and give you praise and kudos and all that sort of thing? See, see the last run? Um, yeah. I, I am – so – it is a little hard to forecast when you're done. It's um, it's not like there's a date and I've got I'm running 500 miles and I'm running 10 miles a day, so it's easy right. to do the math. Right. Uh, I'm I'm forecasting that I've got 1,500 miles total and I'm probably around uh, 1,250. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say I'm thinking early December. That's my goal. I'd like to be done um, with with a few weeks before the end of the year because that's when I start my uh, Big Sur training. But yeah, I would say sometime early December. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, well, when you do finish, we'll, uh, we'll definitely post an update and we'll let everybody know how it goes. So, so Prentice Douglas, thanks for being on the most pleasant exhaustion podcast. Uh, right on, right on. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Good luck, man. Thanks again. All right. See ya. That'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and SlayRX. Don't forget to reach out to us on Facebook, facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. Reach out to us on Twitter, at pleasantpodcast. We're on Instagram now, at mostpleasantexhaustion. And you can download us on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, on Apple Podcasts, or on Spotify. Don't forget to reach out to our sponsors as well. ITL Coaching and Performance can be found at itlcoaching.com at ITL Coaching on Twitter, Facebook.com slash ITL Coaching and Performance, and on Instagram, ITL Coaching. Blue Pineapple Travel can be found at BluePineappleTravel.com, at Facebook.com slash BluePineappleTravel, or on Instagram, BluePineappleTravel. And SlayRx can be found at SlayRx.com, at Facebook.com slash HereForSlayRx, that's the number four, HereForSlayRx, on Twitter, at OfficialSlayRx, and on Instagram, HereForSlayRx. Don't forget to use the Pleasant 2019 discount code for 10% off anything at their website. On behalf of Michelle Frank and Patrick Ollinger, this is George Darden. We appreciate your listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.